Welcome. I'm Leslie Canham. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan, and together we are the Compliance Divas. Welcome to the Compliance Divas inaugural podcast, where we bring clarity and simplicity on compliance. As four longtime colleagues in the industry, Mary Gavoni, Leslie Cam, Olivia Wan, and myself, Linda Harvey, came together last year as a result of the pandemic to coordinate and calibrate our efforts to stay current. Now, each week we address hot topics as well as the latest regulatory updates affecting dentistry. The Compliance Divas podcasts are available on all your favorite podcast channels, and we welcome your questions through our social media outlets, as well as email at support at thecompliancedivas.com. That's support at thecompliancedivas.com. Today, we'll discuss some of the CDC updates, as well as the April 9th Food and Drug Administration announcement. So Mary, let's kick it off. What changes have you seen lately regarding the CDC guidelines? Oh, we've seen lots of changes from the CDC lately, but what is, I think, a little confusing for some of our colleagues in dentistry is that many of the guidelines that have been changed actually have to do with public settings. Um, for example, not needing to wear a face mask out in public outdoors if you are vaccinated. But with the April 27th changes to the CDC guidelines, there is a separate section on guidelines updates for healthcare workers. And there's a couple of important things that need to be, um, that our, our colleagues in dentistry need to be aware of. Number one is that if you are a vaccinated dental healthcare worker, you no longer need to quarantine if you are exposed to someone with COVID-19. And if you are a vaccinated healthcare worker, you don't need to be screened for symptoms every day when you show up for work. But if you're unvaccinated, those two requirements still apply. You would need to quarantine if you're exposed to someone with COVID-19 and you still need to be screened for symptoms each day. And if you have members of your team that are unvaccinated and vaccinated, then remember that in your break room, the six feet social distancing still applies, wearing face masks when you're not eating applies, and also making sure that if you're having a meeting in the morning, your morning huddle, and you have unvaccinated colleagues on your team, then you need to be wearing your face covering. So those things have not changed neither have the requirements for PPE in the treatment rooms, according to the CDC. You know, that's interesting because we're getting a lot of mixed conf uh, feelings and confusion in that whole area as well, Mary. What do we do? So the conversation has really changed from even three months ago in our dental practices and especially from this time last year. So. Absolutely. And I think Olivia is going to share with us some information about screening patients, whether we need to or not. Yes, that's been a, there's a common question we're getting at my office is if they still need to continue monitoring patients' temperature and inquiring of symptoms, 
And unfortunately, we're still following CDC's guidance for dental settings as was updated December 4th in this area until we're told otherwise. So we will continue to monitor patients for symptoms, take their temperature. Patients should be wearing a mask when they're in the dental office. So all of those recommendations continue to be the same. So we wanna pay particular importance, as Mary mentioned, to personal protective equipment and staying current with all of the guidance and continuing to check the website to see when there's new guidance published. And that's so important, Livia, because also everybody is ready to just shed their mask and sort of get back to whatever normal is as it was. And I don't think we're ready for that. So we have to kind of balance it or temper it, wouldn't you say? Yes, Linda. And I think what causes confusion is some of the local cities, municipalities, and states are dropping the mask mandate, but that is not a direct reference for healthcare workers. That just reminds me here in Florida where I am, our, our governor dropped the mandate earlier this week. And then Mary, you reminded us that that's not the case in Michigan, right? No, I, that's not the case. And I just read on the news as well that the Disney parks have said, no, that's we're not dropping the mask mandate. So I think that's probably a wise, um, a wise decision. And just because there isn't a mandate, you still can't let your guard down and the mandate still applies for indoor settings in many areas. And if you're outdoors and you're vaccinated and you're in a crowd, you should still wear a face mask according to CDC. Yeah, lots of changes, very good. Well, we had another change that we saw recently too, which is just a few weeks ago. Leslie, can you tell us what's going on with the Food and Drug Administration? Well, yeah, absolutely, Linda. Uh, you know, with FDA, uh, they actually issued a letter to healthcare personnel recommending that we transition away from what's called crisis capacity conservation strategies. Now, just to give you an idea of what, what we're looking at when we have crisis capacity, a lot of dental teams told us that they had difficulty in obtaining N95 respirators. And so they resorted to what was called limited reuse, which is like a, a bio burden reduction where you would allow your N95 respirator to sit for five days. And then you could wear it five days later because um, according to the studies that were conducted conducted, the virus that causes uh, coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, uh, dissipates in five days. So even though N95 respirators are considered single-use disposable items, without being able to get them, uh, dental workers found themselves uh, reusing them and then also using another strategy called uh, extended use, where a respirator would be worn all day long. Now, bear in mind that respirators are not considered reusable. They are single-use disposable items, unless you're using a lassomeric or papers. But uh, FDA is saying there is an increased supply now, domestic supply, uh, of new respirators available in the United States. So with that in mind, we have other strategies. We have contingency capacity, which means these are strategies that can be used during periods of anticipated PPE shortages. So we, we're, we're still a little leery. We don't know if we're going to be able to get them or not going to be able to get them. Uh, obviously, they're more expensive than, uh, than we want to pay for them. But uh, where we are now, they're available. We, if we were 
always able to get them and we're not ever fearful that we wouldn't be able to get them, we would be in what's called conventional capacity. And these are strategies that should already be in place as part of general infection prevention and control plans in healthcare settings. So FDA's bottom line is limit decontamination of disposable respirators. In other words, only decontaminate them so you can squirrel them away in the event that we can't get them, but not to reuse. So uh, that limited reuse strategy, uh, let's put that away and transition away from this crisis capacity um, strategy that we were using. They say that there are over 6,400 total respirator models or configurations that are on what's called NIOSH, National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health Certified Equipment List. So of those, there's uh, 600 different brands of N95 respirators. It's really a, a different story than it was a year ago when we first went into our, our um, situation where we realized, hey, one of the last lines of defense we have against this virus is PPE. Now, the first line of defense of the hierarchy of controls, can we eliminate that hazard? Well, uh, we can't really eliminate it because uh, according to the science and the data at this time, 57% of people are either asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic. So screening doesn't really eliminate the hazard. Uh, can we replace the hazard? Well, not necessarily. Um, can we use administrative controls? So yes, we can do that. We can uh, put into place certain controls that maybe set certain hours for people to work at a stretch at a time and, and not take breaks, maybe uh, work a, a four hour work day and, and wear the same PPE. And so there's administrative controls. Um, and then there's also, uh, in, in the hierarchy of things, let's see, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head what that other control was. Okay, yes, I got it. Uh, engineering controls. We, we can uh, set up different systems in our dental treatment rooms for improving air exchanges. CDC gives us information in the 2004 CDC guidelines. There's a whole list of strategies of what you can do to increase air exchanges, maybe implement air purifiers with HEPA filters and other types of engineering controls. Controls. Some people have uh, invested in the extra oral chair side uh, aerosol extraction units. Um, and then there's uh, PPE is at the bottom of the list of the hierarchy control. So uh, I guess really the, the bottom line here for us is that uh, we should continue to use the N95 respirators, but uh, change them between patients. And we should not be stockpiling them uh, unless we're fearful that there might be another shortage, in which place we can go to that stockpile. And then FDA is going to continue to monitor the supply and demand. Uh, but uh, you know, they, they are actually at this moment in time, and I'm talking May of 2021, they remain on FDA's device shortage list, but they're not asking us to go to, to crisis capacity. In other words, uh, transition away from that. And they're going to continue to keep us surprised and keep the public informed if there's newer additional information that becomes available. Linda? And you know, thank you, Leslie. When you talk about crisis capacity, the visualization I like to use and to maybe help our listeners think about this too is that of a traffic light. You know, you've got the red light, the yellow light, and the green light. So we went from being in the green light last year, pre-COVID, which I sometimes call the BC days before COVID, 
um, and that was conventional strategies where we had our just-in-time ordering. You know, there was never any concern that you would be without PPE, disinfectant wipes, gloves, whatever, mask, whatever it was. And you would always know that within a few days of getting placing an order, that delivery would show up at your door. We went directly from conventional strategy to prices capacity almost overnight because of the extreme demand that we saw. And I don't know about you, but I was horrified at first when I saw the news stories of nurses being interviewed on television because they had to wear the same mask over and over and they had to put it in a brown bag and wear it all week long. And once I began to understand what these different strategies were, and that was the strategy that the, um, the CDC calls optimization of PPE. So we got the red light, the green light, and in the middle is that um, contingency strategy that you mentioned. So we're trying to move away from the red zone down to the yellow and get back to the green zone. And, and thankfully, many of our manufacturers are uh, moving in that direction. Right. And talking about capacity, uh, many practices have adapted by using KN95 respirators, which are allowed for use in the U.S. only through the emergency use authorizations from the Food, Food and Drug Administration. And so when those emergency use authorizations are um, withdrawn or they expire, then KN95s will no longer be allowed to be utilized in the, the United States because they are not NIOSH approved. So that's another thing I think that dental practices need to keep on their radar, that they won't be able to use KN95s forever. Exactly. And that's what I was going to supplement that dental practices that were able to order the KN95s, we cannot have the attitude, well, let's just deplete the supplies that are on hand. It was just an emergency use authorization. So we need to continue to align our practices with the current regulations to be in compliance. Leslie? Another point I might make is that uh, OSHA's position is that they don't recognize KN95s as respiratory protection. It's N95 or better. So mm -hmm. keeping that in mind from an OSHA, which is a whole topic for another podcast another day. But uh, besides that, remember that reuse of N95s, uh, there could be some damage to the seal, there could be some stretching of the uh, straps that uh, make them inefficient at protecting. They're not actually designed as multiple use items. Plus there's a cross-contamination issue that we all wanna be aware of. And uh, we wouldn't wear the same gloves from patient to patient. We certainly should not be wearing the same mask or N95 respirator from patient to patient. You know, well on top of that, remember last year, there was so much conversation from all over, you know, social media, emails, newsletters about whether this was required or not with OSHA. And I think OSHA has definitely made that clear that it is required to be compliant with these guidelines. And Mary, you were telling us just earlier this week that, you know, of another office in upstate Michigan that was inspected, right, with a complaint or an issue. Yes. And they weren't, this is very similar to others that we've seen. This practice was not wearing N95 respirators. They were wearing level three masks with face shields and they shared with the um, OSHA inspector, the Myosha inspector, that they were told that that was okay. And they were told very quickly by the Myosha inspector that that is not okay. 
And they started to, you know, kind of go back and forth in the discussion. Well, we can't get N95 respirators. And we've seen this before. Well, show me that you tried to get them because if I call a local distributor that you might get them from, I probably will find that you can get them. So as much as we don't like the change of having to wear different PPE, I take us back to the early days of HIV and AIDS epidemic where, oh my goodness, we have to wear gloves all the time now and we have to wear a face mask. And we probably were even wearing level one face masks at that point in time. We don't even know what we were wearing. No, we didn't even know what the levels were, did we? We have no idea. (laughs) And we wore our safety glasses or not. Some people just simply wore their prescription glasses when they were working. And we didn't like that. We thought it was just too confining. And it's a matter of getting used to that and making sure that we're protecting ourselves as best we can. Even if you're vaccinated, you don't know that your vaccine is going to be 100% effective. You don't know that you might not be exposed to some other respiratory disease like influenza or uh, measles Measles. or Mm -hmm. pertussis or something of that nature. So we need to stand our ground, use the appropriate um, personal protective equipment, especially respiratory protection. And I'm sure many of our listeners are wondering now about how can they access all these documents that we've been referencing. Leslie mentioned the letter from the FDA and we've um, mentioned different CDC guidelines. Those will be on our uh, website, thecompliancedivas.com and on the webpage, click the resources tab, and you can access all of the CDC guidance, the FDA information, and OSHA regulations, and we're happy to share those with you. Well, that's a perfect wrap, Mary. Thank everybody for joining us today, and we'll be looking forward to seeing you or hearing, listen to you next week on our program.